So last week, we kind of landed on this idea that Jesus is supreme, that he's sovereign, that he is the most important thing. Bye, guys. It's been nice. See what happens when you're fresh? We go out. (laughs) Jesus is the most important thing. He is supreme. And we kind of we kind of said that in it, the way the scripture kind of lend itself it was because he is the firstborn of the dead. See, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ was different than all of the other people in the Bible that were raised from the dead. It was different because he died and he was raised from the dead so that our sin would be forgiven. He became sin who knew no sin that we might have his righteousness. And no other, no other death and resurrection in the Bible, and there are some in there, had, was for that reason. The other ones were just to display the glory of God through Jesus Christ. But for Jesus, it was different. And because of that, he is, is supreme over everything, all things. Whether they are in heaven or they're in earth, Jesus is the most important thing. And our pursuit of anything but him is not only just a waste of time. I mean, our pursuit of anything but him as the single most important thing in our lives is not only just a waste of time, but it's damaging to our soul. It's damaging to our very lives. And so, when your job, when your job becomes the single most important thing that you focus on in your life, you've lost your way. Even even important relationships, things like your marriage. If your marriage is the most important thing in your life, and not Jesus, you've lost your way. When I become my most important thing, my happiness, my pleasure, what makes me feel good, when it's all about me, I have truly lost my way. Because the pursuit of anything as the most important, the ultimate thing in our lives, anything but Jesus, is really a waste of time and it's damaging to our soul. Even religion. When religion becomes the most important thing in your life and not Jesus, you have lost your way. When the trappings of religious to-dos, you know, the list of stuff and things, when the trappings of religious to-dos become the end and not the means, we, we've missed it. You see, going to church is not the end. Coming here is, is, is not the end. It's a means to the end. It's a means to Christ. Prayer is not just, is not the end. To say at the end of the week, you look at your prayer journal and your prayer journal consists of how much time you spent praying. That's, that's not the goal. 
It's not the end. Jesus is the end. And so prayer becomes a means to that end. Scripture, the Bible, logging time in these pages, memorizing chapter and verse, that's not the end. It's a means to the end. It's a way to get to the end. Who is Jesus Christ? And if those things, those things aren't moving us closer to him, if those things aren't in our lives and it's a way of moving us to a deeper understanding of who he is, if those things aren't sanctifying us into himself, then what we've done is we've made those religious to do things the end and not the means. You see, Jesus is always the end goal. And these things are just a way to get us there, to him, to more of him. Why do you think there are so many crabby Christians in the church? I mean, not in this church, but, you know, in other churches. I've said that before. I've never seen anybody crabby in here. (laughs) Only kidding. Huh? It's because they do the work. They log the time. They make sure they get up every morning at this hour and they have to pray because that's what you do. And they just lack transformation. And transformation only comes by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You see, that's the end. The other things are all a means to get to the end. I want you to look at Psalm 42 for a second. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. You know, we've taken that verse and we've turned it into this benign little hallmark saying that we find on greeting cards. And, and, and there's a nice little picture of a nice little meadow with a nice little deer. And the deer looks really healthy and he's just kind of there. And he's lapping up gold or uh, just fresh blue water as it runs down. And oh, as the deer pants for the water. That's not what the writer intended this to be about. I mean, have, have you ever been so thirsty you would pant? Like, maybe we don't do that as people, but like, you know, your tongue is stuck to the roof of your mouth where you just, you need something to drink. I would argue that we have no idea what that feels like. We live in America. We can just go up to our spigot, turn it on, get a cup of water, and turn it off. In Southington, our water tastes like it comes out of a hose, but guess what? It doesn't make us sick, and we can still drink it. We don't know what it's like to really be thirsty, to really be so thirsty that we're panting. When I, when I went for my soldier, shoulder surgery a few weeks ago, uh, they said, nothing to eat or drink after midnight the night before. No big deal. I had to be at the hospital at 8.45. My surgery was at 10. That's easy peasy right there. I can handle that. I just pigged out right up until 11.59 and then put it all away. I mean, they said midnight. I was good with that. And so, you know, I go there, I get there at 845, I'm in the hospital bed at 9 o'clock, there, they put the IV in, which Harpoon Annie did it, man, she got across the room and was like, oh, you missed. I mean, it hurt, like, and it's just this little needle. But, but anyway, so she, so she puts it in, and, and um, you know, you're in, that, you're in that hospital gown that 
you know, it's open in the back so all of your glory hangs out and, and you know, the world can see. And so, and, and that's about nine o'clock. And so I have to wait for about an hour. Um, and so they came in about 10 o'clock and said, well, there's been a little problem with um, your doctor. He's in a surgery. That's kind of, there's been some complications. So it's going to be a little while longer. No problem. What I didn't know was I was going to be in that bed, in that room for the next six hours waiting because something went really bad. And it's hard to get mad at the person who's in there with knee replacement, which should have taken two hours, and it went into over an eight-hour operation. Uh, But I was sitting there, and I'm trying to pray, because now I'm getting crabby. It's getting to be two o'clock, and you know what? I'm thirsty. Hungry, I'm, I'm good with hungry, but I am thirsty. I'm really thirsty. Like... Like you've licked the bottom of an ashtray thirsty. I've never licked the bottom of an ashtray, but I'm sure that it would have tasted that, you know, like your mouth is like, and and, and there's nothing there. You can't even spit. And so at about two o'clock, I'm I'm, I'm towards the end and the nurse comes in and she she says, hey, it's going to be a little while longer. They're closing. I said, listen, I want to go home. Oh, well, you know, we'd rather that you didn't, but you can go. I said, I'm really thirsty. And so she leaves. And then the, um, the anesthesiologist nurse comes in and he says, they're closing. We're going to take you soon. This is five and a half hours in. I'm trying, to not, trying not to make the decision just to get up and leave uh, because my sugar level was low and I was crabby. And I'm trying to pray for the person who's in there so I won't be so crabby. And that didn't work. I just prayed crabby. And, and so, and so I, I, I said, I said to, the, to the, the nurse, I said, listen, dude, I need something to drink. I said, it's been almost six hours. You throw me a bone. He goes, I'll bring you in some ice. Awesome. So he comes back with a styrofoam cup. And in that styrofoam cup was one single ice cube. He handed it to me and I went. And I almost wanted to punch him, but I have an IV in this hand and I can't do much. And, you know, my glory's all hanging out back here. So I couldn't really get up. And, and, and I'm like, okay. And I threw that thing back. It was the best ice cube Ever. It wasn't even like a big one. It was just a little one. And it went in my mouth and, 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 and I spit it back in the cup and I just admired it for a moment. I'm like, oh, ice cube. And then he's standing there and I'm like, I'm having a moment here. And I look up at him. And I'm like, he goes, I need to take the cup. <laughs> what? So I tossed that sucker right back in my mouth. I handed him a cup. I said, you ain't taking my ice cube. And so the ice cube finally just... I wasn't thirsty anymore. My mouth didn't taste like ashtray. It was, it was the best ice cube ever. I was so thirsty at that point. But it wasn't panting thirsting. It wasn't like I was dying of thirst. I was crabby of thirst. But the writer of this psalm is talking about almost this, this dying of thirst. And look what it says the next, the next verse. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My soul thirsts. It thirsts like that deer panting for streams of water. My soul thirsts for God. That ice cube that I was given in the hospital was the best ice cube ever. And the only thing that was going to help me was something liquid. I needed something. And they gave me the ice cube and it, and it helped. That was the only thing that was going to get me over the hump and wait until they wait another half hour. And they took me at about three. That's what the writer of Psalm 42 is saying. God is the only thing 
the only thing that's going to quench the thirst of the soul. He's the only thing that's going to fill that void, that's going to quench the fire, put it out. It's God and God alone. Now, Now, for me, my end wasn't to get an ice cube. The end for me was I wanted something. I, I didn't want to be thirsty anymore. I wanted, I wanted my mouth to be moist. I didn't want that blah in there anymore. That was the end. And the means for me was an ice cube. And so our spiritual end is more of God, more of Christ, more sanctification. That's our end. And our means to get there are things like prayer. And scripture reading and the community of saints. Are, are you tracking with me on this? I mean, are, are you following? Are you picking up what I'm laying down here? Yep. Jesus is the end. And all of the religious stuff that we do has to be the means to get there. Not just so you can check it off on a list and say, I've done what I need to do. Or... Have you gotten caught up in the do's of don'ts of religion? Has that become the most important thing? Here's, here's the thing. We have to engage faith. We have to engage the things of faith. But we do it not for the sake of just doing it. We do it not so we can check off the list. We do it not because that's what you've been brought up to do and that's what you've always done. We do it not because, not because someone told you that as a Christian, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what it's supposed to look like. We do not do these things to do. We do them to pursue, to have more and more of Christ in our life. And maybe, just maybe, man, you're not there. Maybe, maybe you don't thirst after God, like the psalmist writes. Maybe it's just, it's just not, it's just not in you. And maybe till, till today, you've never really noticed it, recognized it. You've just always kind of done the thing and, and the thing you thought was okay. Maybe you need to do the deep, hard work, the internal work of the soul, and look deep within you to see if you love and you have a true, deep, passionate love for Jesus. And maybe you'll come to the realization that you do the things you do just because it's what you've been taught to do. And see, it's... It's wrong, but it's, it's not like you're spitefully doing something wrong. I'm not doing this to heap guilt upon you. I want to share this with you, and I wanted to clarify what we ended with last week because I want you to pursue Christ as the most important thing. And there are things that we do to do that, but they are the means and not the end. Jesus is always the end. And so if you're not there yet, if you're just kind of like, wow, I'm... I'm not there. I want to, you know what? Pray. I mean, that's really all that we got. We pray. We pray to God and say, God, I, I, don't, I don't have that. I don't have that desire. I don't, I don't have that, that 
deep down thirst for you and you want it. I mean, even, even the thirsting, even the, the desire that is within us for more of Christ, that's God's gift to us. That's grace. It's God's grace that we can desire him at all. It's nothing that we have produced But yet we have to go through the means of prayer, of asking God, I want, I need more of you. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he's going to answer that prayer. And he will give you more of himself. But I'm also going to tell you, it ain't going to be easy. Because some things in your life are going to have to go. Some things are going to have to change because it needs to make room for more and more of him. And even the things that have to go and the things that have to change are still his grace to us. It's still his work in us. You can't fix you. Only he can fix us. And even that is his grace to us. And so we engage faith not just to say, I can regurgitate the whole book of James word for word. Big deal. Because if James hasn't brought you closer to Christ and hasn't caused transformation in your life, I can recite the Constitution. I mean, I can't, but it'd be the same thing. It's all His grace to us. I want to make sure you get this. I want to make sure you understand this. This is so important. So, so important. The desire to desire Christ is his grace and gift to us. The work of transformation within us, the cleaning of the house, the refining, the pruning, is his grace at work in us. And so we pray. Now we'll get into Colossians. Colossians 1, 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. You know, I'm going to hit Colossians really quick because I want to read the whole five verses until we get to this one. Uh, Colossians 15 through 19 reads this way. The Son... And we've been working through this for quite a few weeks. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. You know, during the holidays, Christmas and especially Easter coming up, um, the media tries to begin to define this Jesus guy. They try to figure out, I mean, Jesus has made the cover of Time magazine during Christmas time and Easter time. And because it, it, we try to define who he is. 
And, and so, I mean, check out the History Channel. They're always running Jesus things in search of the historical Jesus. And I, think, I believe today on the History Channel is starting a whole big series called The Bible. And they're going to go through right up. And I think, and don't quote me on this, but I think they're going to end somewhere around Easter with, with the death, death and resurrection of Jesus. So he's, he's always out there in the media. And I believe the reason for that is because... There was a man who walked this earth, and his name was Jesus, and he is who he said he was, and he did the things that are in this book, and in our our humanity, we have continually tried to define him, but he defies definition. I mean, at least in our human terms, we're never going to be able to fully define who he is because, because it says what in John? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And if you can define God 100% so you fully understand him, I believe he fails to be God. He, he's just become something that you have thought up and you're very comfortable with. And so we as humanity continually try to Figure them out. Box them in. Make them manageable. Make it feel good. Okay, I can get behind this Jesus because I feel better that he's a little bit more controlled. But we're never really going to get there. I mean, we have Father. We have Son. We have Holy Spirit. And there's this triune relationship. And they have different roles. But yet there's, there's a oneness they are one, but yet they're three, and they're separate. And if you really start to think through that, it will scramble your eggs. Like, how can that really be? But that's the mystery of our faith. And it's okay that some things stay as a mystery. It's actually a good thing. It keeps us on our toes. It keeps us pursuing and pressing in. We're never going to fully understand it with our finite mind. But Paul wants to get us as close as we possibly can get to understanding who this Jesus is. And he's writing the letter to the Colossian church because he wants to refute some false teachings that have begun to, to weave their way into the gospel. Weave their way into what, what they brought, what, what the, this, Paul was never there, but whoever started the church, what they were taught, the purity, the simplicity of the gospel. Now, we don't know really from the text what that, that teaching was, but we can, I think cautiously, we could make some assumptions about, make some conclusions about what might have been teaching. And so what, what the scholars seem to think is the idea was God is here, okay? And this is the supreme God, God the Father. And then, and then over here we have people, we have humanity. And we're over here and God is over there. And in between there's this, this space, there's this realm, if I could use that word. And within that realm is where all communication goes from God to people, from people to God. It's got to kind of travel through this place, through this space. And what was being taught from what we can just kind of make some some cautious conclusions, was that in this, this middle realm, there are spiritual entities and principalities that are at work here. And they are, they are outside of the authority of God through Jesus Christ. They just kind of act on their own. And it would behoove man to pay some respect to these authorities to make sure that they become part of the salvation equation. 
And Paul wants to go, oh, nay, nay. That is just not the way it works out. He is going to refute that whole idea because there are no powers in heaven or on earth that are outside the authority of God through Jesus Christ. There is nothing that, is, that exists that hasn't been created in him and through him and for him. That means that everything that exists has been created in him and through him and for him. And it comes under his authority no matter what we might want to believe. It doesn't matter what you believe. If I believe that if I stick a fork in a light socket and I'm not going to get shocked, it really doesn't matter what I believe. And Paul wants to refute this false doctrine that's coming into the church. And so he says, God is happy, delighted, filled with joy. That all of his fullness, God the Father, would dwell in Jesus. That the attributes and the activities of who God is dwell in Jesus. That the fullness of his spirit, of his wisdom, of his word, that the fullness of the glory of the Lord dwells within Christ. The divine essence and power of the Father dwells within Jesus. And so, Christian, everything that we need to know about God, everything that we need to experience about the Father could be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Everything that there is of God, essence, power, glory, wisdom, is found in Jesus. And and it's been revealed to the world. It's been manifest to the world so that we can see it and we can and we can learn from it his words his actions the way he lived his life everything of god has been manifest perfectly in the person of jesus and because of that it makes him the all sufficient go between between sinful humanity and god the father the creator of all things And so, Paul continues to press this person of Jesus. He'll say this in the next verse. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. What's established uh, in the first four verses, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, which is, what is established is that everything that has been created ever is been created through in and for Jesus. Everything, heavenly bodies, thrones, principalities, kingdoms, powers, everything has been created in, for, and through Jesus. But what's not mentioned is what has happened since creation. What is not mentioned is what has happened, but it's understood, especially in this verse, 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things. That word reconcile, to bring back into right relationship. It's clearly understood that, that somehow, since creation, there's been a harmony and a unity that has been broken between what has been created and the creator. The, it's, it's all suffered this, this big, huge tear, this tearing apart, this, this rupture of harmony, of, of rhythm. And things have gone terribly, terribly wrong. And it only takes a few minutes for us to watch the news and to see that truth manifest itself in front of us. I mean, just this week, a grandmother picks up her two grandchildren. One was two years old. I think the other was a little younger. Picks up her two grandchildren from daycare to bring the oldest to his birthday party. She ends up driving them to some lake, kills them. And kills herself. Something is terribly, terribly wrong with our world. And you see, we, we're kind of, we're kind of born into it. Actually, we're born with it. Parents, let me ask you a question. When your kids were young, did you ever have to teach them to be selfish? Did you ever have to say, oh, no, honey, no, you don't have to share all of your Cheerios. Keep some for yourself. Or, no, don't give away all of your toys. No, no, you play with some, and, and, you, can, and you can give them to your friends. And have they ever looked up to you and said, oh, Father, I just, I want to give everything away that I own. I don't need these toys anymore. Have you ever had to say that to a young child? Have you ever had to teach them? to punch and to bite so they can get back the Cheerios and the toy? I remember when Megan was in daycare, she was young, and uh, we sent her, our daycare that we were in, um, they got into a terrible motorcycle accident, so we had to find a new daycare. We're trying out daycares. And uh, within the first week, she came back with a bite mark. We're like, all right, one. Second, you know, a couple days, she came back with another one. Now I'm getting a little antsy. Then she came back with like this whole perfect palated bruise of a bite mark on her face. We called and said, yeah, we're not coming back. But the mother was just appalled that her child would do such a thing. Children are born wicked, wicked little things, man. They're born as little selfish narcissists. But the thing is, their story is, don't you laugh because, because you were there once. You weren't the only child that went, oh, father. I don't want my Cheerios. Please give them to my friends. It wasn't you. We're born with this, this darkness in our hearts. It's, it's the way we come into the world. And at best, if we can teach them good behavior, maybe they won't, get in, they won't be in the principal's office all the time. But the only thing that really cures that is a change of heart. And the change of heart comes from the transformation and the power of the Holy Spirit. Or a good swift kicking the butt when, they, when, when they're doing that. I could say butt in church, right? Yeah, okay. Just want to make sure. We're born into this. We're born into this brokenness. And what it says here is that it's all been reconciled. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 
man, it's gone bad. Stuff is broken. We can't fix it. Even creation is broken. Trees die because creation is broken. I think ticks were manifest on the day of sin. God went, oh, yeah, okay, tick, there you go. And made them bloodsuckers. They used to drink apple juice. It's just a theory. I got nothing to back it up. Creation no longer bears the right relationship that it intended to have when God created it. But God will say, I love this way too much to let it continue on this way. I love this so much. I'm going to step in and in a a display of his power for his name and his glory, he will make a way that everything gets put right. He makes a path of reconciliation and that path is complete and that path is perfect and that way is Jesus Christ crucified, period. It's a restoring of a relationship between sinful man and the creator of all things. Right relationship. Now let me be very clear. When it says that uh, through him to reconcile himself all things, I am not, it is not talking about a universal salvation. Everybody doesn't stand in the glory of the Lord just because you're a person. You see, the grace of God is either accepted or evil will be. There's a theological term. It's it's, um, it's called pacification. It will be, we will either, we will either uh, gladly receive God's grace or justice will be forced upon us and forced upon those who are enemies of Christ. This is not universal salvation. It says that God brings it all back together again the way it originally was. Evil will be vanquished. Once and for all, it will go away. The principalities that fight against God will be destroyed. Though, yes, now they operate in this world, one day they will be overthrown. And it takes place how? It began how? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. By making peace through his blood, the blood of Jesus, when he willfully gave himself to be nailed to the cross Peace, shalom, security, blessing, renewal. See, it's, it's about responding to the gospel. It's about receiving this, this gospel message that this man who was God came to earth and gave himself for us that we would be forgiven of our sin. And when you come to the place of receiving that deep within your heart, you have been justified, reconciled in that very moment. You now stand in right relationship with him. See, see, it's, it's always been his work. You can't earn that. You just receive that. The gospel, as Tim Keller would say, the gospel is not something that you do. The gospel is something that's already been done. The gospel is not something that you do. It's something that's already been done. And all you have to do is receive. The work of Jesus on the cross makes us Christian, his covenant people. And we're able to live in victory in a world that's broken and dangerous 
and literally sometimes feels like it's going to hell. Like it's falling apart. Even within the dangers, even within the hostilities that, 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 are, just, that are focused on God, we are able to live in victory, not because we're special, not because we got it together, but because of the work, the finished work of Christ on the cross. He has brought this entire rebellious creation back under his rule, back under his sovereignty. But we live right now in the, in the New Testament tension of already and not yet. He has done the work, but we see that has not fully been realized until he comes back again and he makes it all right. And I'm telling you, this is not the way it's going to be for eternity. I am telling you, like it says in the book of Revelation at the end, that one day, that one day there will be no more tears. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more pain. There will be no more death. And we will behold the glory of the Lord forever and ever. That's his promise. That's when it goes. Yes, now it's complete. But now we just live in this tension. And so we get this verse that, that, that it was, God was pleased to have the fullness of himself to dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile, himself to, all, reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And I want, and just spend a minute, I want you to read that. Just read that to yourself. Let those words sink in. Go ahead, take a minute. I'll be quiet. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Read it again. Because the next verse is so important and it's not in Colossians. Read it one more time. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has made the peace by shedding his blood on the cross. And therefore, Christian, there is no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. Price paid, cost met, law fulfilled. You are no longer separated from God, but you are joined intimately to him because of the work of Christ on the cross. So stop Living like you're separated from him. Stop living with your head down in defeat. Stop living like, stop feeling like you're the one that God has to tolerate because, you know, well, you're in. But you, you, you stop thinking that God doesn't like you. Stop living like he's always mad at you. Therefore, because he has made peace by the shedding of his blood on the cross. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The work is done. It's been completed. Will you receive that? You know, in Lent, Lent is a, a very interesting time. It's, it's a preparation for, for Easter. And, and as, we, as we celebrate Lent, many times we'll find that um, in Lent we, we fast. And we say we're going to give up things. And we give up things to, 
to focus on God. And so people will fast from different kinds of foods, fast from different kinds of social things, um, fast from whatever. And, you know, in in some traditions, they fast on a certain day and they fast from uh, uh, certain foods. They give up something. But, you know, and, and last year, I think we did the same thing during Lent. And for whatever reason, I was not convicted this year to do that. And I had no, I, I didn't know why. I mean, there, there should be some traditional stuff for Lent, right? And yeah, not so much, I thought, this year. In fact, we're not even going to do a Good Friday service this year. We're going to do a Maudie Thursday service this year. But then I thought, maybe the reason why God doesn't want us to give up to fast from food this time Fast from your favorite thing. Maybe this Lent, maybe this Lent you give up feeling guilty. You give up carrying around that weight of guilt. You give up that voice, that just, that that tape that goes in your head that you're not good enough. You give up that voice in your head that says, how can he ever forgive that again? Maybe those are the things we need to give up this Lent. Because when Jesus rose from the dead on Easter morning, it was about freedom. And how can you really be free when you're carrying around guilt that he has he, he doesn't even look to you as, as guilty anymore. How can, he, how can you be free if you carry around the attitude that you're not good enough, you're not clean enough, or, or that sin is always going to be, God is never going to be able to look at you the same way because you did it again. Maybe those are the things that we need to give up and fast from this Lent. And I'm telling you, this is not for you to fast now and take it up when it's all over. This is for you to get rid of it. Allow the Spirit of God just to get that out of your brain, your soul, your heart. And let healing begin. Isn't that what the communion table is all about? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus said when we come to this table to remember him. To remember that he made peace, shalom, by shedding his blood on the cross. And so, you know, don't rush up here. It's already late. You've missed your appointment already. Don't rush up here and just take communion because that's what we do on the first Sunday of the month. Man, let, let there be some inner prayer, dialogue with God. Take some time. What is it that God wants you to release, to fast from, to give up during this time of Lent? And when you're ready, come on up. Take the bread. Take the cup. Sit down, pray, chill out, talk to God, and we will take them 
as our tradition is together.